to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Start off, as I often do, with a question to get you thinking along the lines of what I believe God wants to speak to us about today, and that is, how many of you like to wait? Anybody like to wait? They say that, you know, the anticipation of waiting for something good is half the fun, and there is some truth to that, but I think the only time I like to wait is if I'm not under pressure and I can use that time to do whatever I want to do. That's the only time I like to wait. Otherwise, I don't like to wait, right? And I especially hate to have to wait where I'm in a situation where I can't do what I want to do, and it's just wait, wait, wait. But, you know, we wait for so many things in life. In fact, we all spend most of our lives waiting just for simple things, waiting for this service to get over, waiting for lunch, Waiting for dinner, waiting for breakfast. How many of you, that's the main thing about waiting is food, yeah. Waiting for an event, waiting for a certain holiday, waiting for a vacation. Those are all pretty benign situations, but the thing that often makes waiting hard is when you're waiting for something and you're not sure how long it's going to take, and the amount of pain or discomfort or frustration that there is in waiting for the thing that you're waiting for. A lot of things we wait for, it's not that big deal. But there are some things that are major in our lives that we're waiting for. It's like, I'm tired of waiting. I'm ready for it to be over with. Today, we're going to talk specifically about waiting for the Lord. Waiting for God. Chances are... If we have a relationship with God or we're aware of that situation, we're aware of him, we believe in God, we're waiting on God, waiting for God for something, right? How many say, you know what, I, I'm waiting for God. I, I am waiting for a specific thing. You know, I'm praying about it. Maybe you've prayed about it for so long it's not happened, you've given up praying about it. That's the humanity just coming out. We're waiting for God. And that's what I want to talk about today, waiting for the Lord. And as I said, I believe that God wants this to be an encouraging word for his people. Wait for the Lord. It comes from a passage that the one verse this comes from is one that probably is familiar to many of you, maybe even most of you. In fact, we actually sang about it this morning. But we're going to read the whole passage in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 27. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 27. The background to this is that Isaiah is a prophet that's been used by God and leading up to chapter 39, which is the chapter before 40. Most of you probably realize that. God has given Isaiah a vision of the future about how his people are going to be carried into captivity because they have rebelled against him so many times in so many ways, and he has disciplined them, he's drawn them back to himself, he's tried to get them back on the straight and narrow, and they just keep rebelling, that eventually he's going to allow them to be captured by their enemies and taken into a foreign land. 
But he also gave Isaiah a vision of the fact that God would never give up on them and he would bring them back home. So between 39 and 40 is that dividing place. Up to 39, it's all about God's getting ready to to discipline you. God's getting ready. You know, you're going to go into captivity. But chapter 40 says, but God's going to bring you back home. But in the meantime, you're going to have to wait. That's where we pick it up here in verse 27. God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah. And he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, Jacob and Israel, referring to God's people, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. We're going to dig into this passage a little bit this morning and see what we have, God's message for us today, and some practical things that we can put into uh, practice in our lives. First of all, I want to talk about the problem, and this is a problem that God's people are having this is a problem that's being expressed. God's talking about it, but he says, you guys are talking like this. And this is the problem. The problem is God's seeming lack of concern. Now let's just be honest here. Even if you know God, you got a relationship with God, you know he loves you, he cares about you, he he wants to be involved in do you ever feel like God, do you really care? God, do you really care? And those feelings often come because we're waiting and we can't figure out why in the world God's not doing something about this situation or he's not doing what we'd like him to do, what we feel like he really should do, what we believe he's promised to do. And so we have this problem. God seems like maybe he doesn't care. God's seeming lack of concern. We see this in verse 27 where God is quoting his people. Why do you say Israel, why do you say, Jacob, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? What are they actually saying with these statements? Well, first of all, they're kind of saying like, well, God doesn't really know. God must not know what's going on because if he knew about it, surely he'd do something. Now, that that flies in the face of what we know about God, that God knows everything. but, but, But maybe not in the sense that God literally doesn't know, but he's totally ignoring me. That statement says, why are you saying my way is hidden from the Lord? My way, my life, my path, things that I'm going through. Obviously, God is not paying attention. God doesn't see it as far as actively looking. God's not giving it any focus. God's not giving it any priority. God doesn't know. Sometimes, perhaps, our enemy would even come and whisper to us thoughts. Well, God's too busy taking care of other things. 
You know, our enemy loves to twist scripture, make us feel insignificant, make us feel neglected, make us feel like God doesn't care. Our enemy could come to come to us and say, hey, listen, you know, God says in his word that he cares for the birds of the air. Maybe he's too busy caring for the birds. He doesn't have time for you. God's word says he knows the hairs on every person's head. Maybe God's too busy counting hairs that he doesn't have enough time to heal you or to work in your marriage or to get you a job or to help you with your finances. It says God cares about the flowers of the field. Maybe he's too busy doing internal decorating or external decorating of the world to really be focused on my problems. Those seem a little facetious, and they really are. But there's all kinds of things that the enemy can come to us and tell us God doesn't really care. God doesn't know. God's not paying attention. God's not looking at me right now. God's not seeing my situation. He doesn't see and understand the pain that I'm going through. God, don't you see? And can I tell you that we're not the only ones that feel that way? You especially see it if you read through the Psalms. Two-thirds, I think, of the Psalms were written by David and the rest by other people. And many of the Psalms, I would say probably a great majority, are written out of the cry of people's hearts as they are waiting, they are in pain, they're suffering, they're going through difficulty. Sometimes it's because of their own sin and the guilt and the shame and everything, just conviction just weighs and then they're crying out to God. Sometimes it's because they've done absolutely nothing wrong, but everything's coming against them and they cry, God, don't you see? When are you going to respond? It's one of the reasons I love reading the Psalms. Most of the time, there's only a couple of exceptions. When you read a Psalm that starts out that way, the Psalmist says, but God, I'm trusting in you. God, I know you're going to take care of me. And I've seen it happen before and you're going to do it again. So when you're going through a tough time, the Psalms are great things to read. The heart's cry of God's people when life gets difficult. But does God know? The second thing they're saying is God doesn't care. God doesn't care. When he says, God's quote, he says, he said, my right is disregarded by God. Listen, my right, my justice is being denied me. You know, there's something I deserve, maybe not in a demanding way from God, but, but this is the way it should be, but it's not the way it should be. And apparently God doesn't care because he's not doing something about it. And, and that's a big issue. I mean, that's a big issue for people that aren't believers in God and stuff. They say, if there really was a God, why isn't he doing more in the world to take care of all the evil and injustice? And that's a topic for another time. But even God's people wrestle with that. In my life, this just isn't right. I don't deserve this. Does God care? Maybe God knows about it, but he's not doing anything about it. And again, the Psalms are full of expressions of that thought. Does God care? Now, it's not in this passage, but I can't help but believe that there's probably some thought of perhaps, well, maybe God does know. Maybe God does care, but you know what? He's not doing anything because really I don't deserve it. I've messed up too much. I've... (laughs) I've blown God off so much. I've ignored him in so many areas of my life. I've made a mess of things. Why should God 
do anything. And I only throw that in there, even though it's not in the passage, because I believe that that's another major area in which we might wrestle. And the Israelites could be wrestling with that too. You know, we went into exile because we rebelled against God so much. Why would we even expect that he would do anything from us other than the fact that he's promised to do so? You know, it makes me think of an example in the New Testament. We talked about this just recently in the last couple of months of Jesus with his disciples and they're traveling and he says, hey, we've got to go to the other side of the lake. Let's get into the boat. They get into the boat. Jesus has had a long, hard day. He falls asleep. They're halfway across the lake. There's this great, humongous storm. The boat's getting ready to sink. They're all going to drown and Jesus is fast asleep and the disciples wake him up and say, Jesus! Don't you care that we're all going to die? Same situation. But as we look at our own lives, as you look at your life, what are you waiting for God on or about? What is it that is in your life that the enemy sometimes sneaks in and says, God doesn't know. God doesn't care. Or even if he does, it doesn't matter. You don't deserve his touch. You don't deserve his deliverance. You don't deserve his healing. You don't deserve his help. Because look at your life. What is that area? And should we just give up and despair and say, we might as well just forget it? Well, this passage says no. Because God does want to get involved. That leads us to the second area, and that is the promise And the promise that we see here is that God is able and he is willing to help. God is able and he is willing to help us. In verse 28, he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? And then he goes into this description of God and his awesomeness. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But when he says, have you not known have you not heard? He's, he's speaking to, to what have we experienced? What have we learned? Haven't you experienced for yourself God's goodness? And I would say that most of us who are waiting on God for something and maybe even frustrated, and it's like, God, why aren't you doing this? That we can look back and see many times or at least sometimes where God did something, where God was involved. And that's one of the reasons we're struggling. It's like, well, he did it then. Why is he not doing it right now? And so God tells his people, he says, look back. And they've got the whole history of their people to look at, to see where God was involved and took care of them. So he says, from your own experience, have you experienced it? Can't you look back and remember and think about the things I've already done in your life? Or haven't you heard the stories of your people, maybe from long before you were ever born, but how God, how I, God speaking, you know, was involved and I took care of you and I delivered you? I responded to your cries for help. It's almost as if God's saying, you should know better. And he would probably lovingly say that to us today too. If you're despairing, you're frustrated, not that there's anything wrong with being frustrated with your situation, and you're waiting on God and you're feeling like giving up, if you can also look back and see so many times where God has touched you and delivered you and provided for you, Shouldn't you know better? God's involved. 
It makes you think of the Israelites after they've been delivered out of slavery in Egypt. God did phenomenal, miraculous things. The ten plagues, the last one being the death of the firstborn. And he saved his own people through the events of the Passover. And and then they left Egypt. And not only did God deliver them from 400 years of slavery, he made events such that the Egyptians just piled a bunch of wealth on them. Gave them a bunch of food and gold and silver and other things that were very valuable and said, get out of here. But as soon as they encountered encountered a difficulty, and not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over again, crying out to God, God, why did we even leave Egypt? And God would deliver them. They'd rejoice. Then they'd have another difficulty. Oh, God, why in the world didn't you leave us there? And we look and say, that's so stupid. Stupid, how could they overlook all the things that God has done for them just because they're facing a difficult situation? Why do we do the same thing? Or at least why are we tempted to do the same thing? I'm not trying to put us all in the same boat. You may be doing just fine. You're waiting on God and you're really frustrated with certain circumstances in your life, your body, your relationship, work, school, whatever it might be, but you're trusting God. You're looking back and saying, God did it before. He can do it again. And that's wonderful. But we are tempted, aren't we? But the point is that God is able and willing to help. First of all, we see that God is able. God can do anything. We said it in verse 28. In one verse, God just reveals some major things about himself. And I really encourage you, if you want to follow up on this message later on today or this week, go back and read the chapter from the very, very, very beginning. Because there's a lot of stuff before you get to uh, verse 27 where we started about God's awesomeness, God's wonderfulness, God's power, his authority, all that. But he sums it all up here in verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You know, we could do a whole series of Bible studies just from that one verse. What does that verse tell us about God? He says he's the creator. He created everything and he maintains everything. He not only created, but he knows how it's supposed to work. He says he's the everlasting God. It means he's always existed. He's been in all times. It says that he is to the ends of the earth, which the fancy theological word for that is he's omnipresent. That means he is everywhere all the time. Says he doesn't grow faint or grow weary. The fancy spiritual word is he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. It says that his understanding is unsearchable. That means he knows everything. And not only does he know everything as far as the facts, but he's also extremely, ultimately wise. And again, the fancy spiritual word is he's omniscient. He knows all things. God is awesome. He created this world and everything in it, including ourselves. He knows how it works. He's got all power, all wisdom, all authority. He's always existed. He always will exist. He's able. But again, that's what causes the problems. I know he's able, so why is he not doing something? But the second thing that God is trying to communicate here is that he's not only able, but he's willing to help. He is willing We see that in verses 29 to 31. He gives power to the faint, to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. 
But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, shall walk and not faint. God says not only that he's aware of what's going on and he's able to do something about it, but he wants to help us in whatever we face. God is willing. We see here that God gives strength. It says he gives power to the faint. Again, even though we may be in current need of something more, something different, something whatever, but we could, many of us, most of us probably, maybe even all of us, testify to the time that we just didn't know how we were going to face what we're facing, how we're going to get through it, how we're going to deal with it. And God came through for us. He gave us the strength, strength that we did not have in and of ourselves. I could tell you story after story after story of times I just did not have the strength. And not just in major crisis times, but everyday life, every week ministry. This might surprise some of you, but almost every Saturday and Sunday morning after preparing to minister, to preach like this, I wrestle with inside like God. Is this really going to speak to people? God, can I really do this? God, can I really communicate this in a way that it's going to make a difference? And the enemy's there whispering, no, no, you can't do it. And, you know, and it's going to fall flat and nobody's going to pay attention and they're not going to get anything out of it. And I wrestle with that every week. Now, I don't mean that I'm in some kind of crisis every week, but those kind of thoughts come to me. But that's where I have to trust in God's word. That it's not about me anyway. I do the best I can to study and prepare and think and plan and, and, and write things out and all that kind of stuff. And then it's up to God. And can I tell you, week after week after week, when I get up to preach, very seldom do I feel that weakness when I'm preaching. Sometimes I do. I think God allows that. So I really depend on him and know for sure it's him, not me. But it's because God gives strength. And and in case we didn't get it, God not only gives strength, but he increases strength. Okay, he gives us more than enough. He, He increases what we have. We see that here when he says, you know, even youths shall be faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But he increases strength. Oh, at the end of verse 29, to him who has no might, he increases strength. And we need that because there's times that we might feel like we've got a little bit of strength, but we're not enough. it's not enough. We, we feel like we're going to faint. We're weary. We're exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But when he mentions this here about how even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. As we get older, and we've said this many times, we have no old people in our church. We just have people that are older than they used to be. And I know I'm older than I used to be. And I have found that as I am getting older than I used to be, I don't have the strength that I used to have. Mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever it might be. I get weary more often, quicker. And we often think of young people, these healthy young people. Having the strength, and they often do. You know, that's why there's a lot of sports programs in schools and, 
and into the young 20s and, you know, even in professional sports after people get past a certain age, it's like how much longer are they going to be able to go on and do what they've been doing? And limits are pushed because of health issues and, and diet issues and just determination issues. But eventually there's going to come a time that that strength is gone. And God says here, even the youngest, strongest people can get weary but his point in making the point he's trying to make here is not just you guys are all hopeless. Is the fact no matter who you look to as being the strongest. The one who has the best capability of going forward and dealing with whatever. They're going to have a hard time, but that's OK, because God, I can make up the difference. In other words, he's trying to say, listen, I don't care how strong a person may be. Human strength will fail. It will fail. But that's okay, because when it does, I can help. Now, something that's really interesting in, in, in this thing here, what says specifically here, and young men shall fall exhausted. It talks about youths and then young men. Um, that phrase there, young men, literally is in the Hebrew, those who have been chosen. Okay, and, and, and young men is the proper translation because it's talking about those who have been chosen who are the best, those who have been chosen who are the strongest, those who have been chosen because they have trained, those who have chosen because they can get it done. And he says, those who have chosen these young ones, even they can fail. And, and just this morning, God gave me an additional thought to throw in here that I think is so important. And that is sometimes we look at people who have been chosen. And by I mean that what I mean by that is someone who looks like they're doing such a wonderful job. Whether we're talking about in the spiritual realm, some well-known preacher who, who, who either pastors or as an evangelist, they draw great crowds and God's doing great things through their ministry. And all of a sudden we find out that they're still human. Or maybe even worse, that they have fallen done some things, been involved in things that nobody should be involved in, but especially not a leader like that. And you see situations like that, or maybe it's not on such a grand scale, but you have a family member. There's a there's someone that you look to as a, a mature believer, and you look at their life and they, they really seem like they, they've got it all together. But I, I know they're not perfect. Yeah, I know they got rough edge, but they really seem like they get it all to got it all together. But then they fail, they fall, they do something. And it just kind of disillusions like, if they can't do it, how in the world can I do that? Every time there's a moral failure on behalf of some well-known religious leader, there's a lot of feedback of, if they can't live for God, how in the world can I live for God? Can I tell you something? I think it's one of the points that God is trying to make here. It doesn't matter who they are. And it doesn't justify, it doesn't make that right. It is wrong. And unfortunately, people's faith is often undermined and sometimes dashed against the rocks because of leaders that don't maintain their walk with God. But the point God's trying to make is, I don't care who you look at as being the strongest person you know, spiritually especially, but anyway, even if they fail, because they're not perfect, it doesn't matter because they're not the one you're supposed to get your strength from. The strength comes from God. The strength comes from God. The best of human strength will fail, but God will never fail. 
So God gives strength, God increases strength, but God also renews strength. Again, I think God's just trying to hammer this home by putting it different ways. He says, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. That word for renew means to change or to exchange. You've run out and you're going to get more. Or you've got something that's worn out and God's going to take that and give you something brand new. He's going to renew your strength. It means to put on fresh It's like changing clothes. You've been working hard. Everything's gotten nasty, dirty, maybe torn and ripped or whatever. But now you get to take a shower, put on new clothes. Get some rest. You feel fresh. That's the idea there. When your strength just seems like it's gone because you've used it all up, God will give you new strength. He will trade that which is spent for something new. God has an endless supply of fresh strength. We see this expressed in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Whatever we face in life, God has strength for us. God has strength for us. That verse ends up by saying, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Just in general, those are just three different ways of stating no matter what you're facing, God can give you strength. But I really think that there's almost three different things. There are three different pictures. You know, the first one, it says that they shall mount up with wings like eagles. And I don't know what that picture brings to your mind. To me, it just, it just, it just makes me feel like I'm just so exhausted, I want to lay down and can't get back up again. And God's not only going to give me strength to allow me to get back up, but to actually soar. And there's certainly that idea there. But if you study God's word and you do a little bit deeper thing, a deeper deeper look, you find that most of the other places, because there's only a couple of them, where God mentions eagles before this, he's talking about himself. And he's talking about how he carries his people to deliver them, to protect them, and to provide for them. One of the first places is in Exodus. After God delivered his people out of slavery, and he's making a covenant, an agreement with them, he says, here's the basis of my agreement with you. I've already delivered you. I brought you out of Egypt like an eagle lifting up a person above the ground. I carried you on my back like an eagle. So I think that that's the primary thing that God's talking about here, even though the idea of being lifted up is is certainly there too. You know, God giving us extra strength. Another place where God talks about himself being uh, like an eagle that spreads his wings over his people to protect them. I think this picture is telling us, listen, when life gets so overwhelming, there really isn't anything else you can do. God's going to take care of you. He'll carry you. He'll protect you. He'll help you. He'll get involved in your situation. He'll provide deliverance. Then he talks about running and walking. To me, you know, we don't run 24-7. Running is when we're in an extra busy time. Running is when we got to get someplace quick, okay? To me, that speaks about times of extra stress, times of extra pressure, times of when I really got to get it done, times of when the situation just seems so overwhelming. God's going to give us the strength to run when we got to run. 
but he'll also give us the strength we need to walk. And to me, that just talks about everyday life. He's going to give us the strength we need to go through everyday life. That We just walk, we pretty much walk everywhere, right? I mean, we ride in cars, but I'm just saying, that's how we get around every day. That's just normal, everyday stuff. In the everyday stuff, God is going to give us the strength that we need. We say, if all this is true, that God really does love us, and he really does want to help us, why is it that we struggle so much with this? Why is it it seems like we don't see anything happening? And and this brings me to the third and last thing, that there's a process. There's something we're supposed to do. We're supposed to wait for the Lord. Why is it that I don't always have the strength I need? Because we're not waiting for the Lord. Why is it that things are so overwhelming and I don't sense God's presence? I mean, God may be trying to teach us something, in there, but, but it's like, because we're supposed to be waiting for the Lord. Sometimes we run around, as old saints are like chickens with our heads cut off scrambling and scurrying to try to handle things on our own instead of waiting for the Lord. He said, for those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Man up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? It doesn't mean just sitting in a chair, twiddling your thumbs, saying, okay, God, when are you coming through? That word wait means to hope in, to put your trust in, to rest in, to wait with hope. Those are all definitions that come from study. The Amplified Bible says this, but those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in Him. Another way to put it be those who hope confidently, wait patiently, and rest trustfully. The implications are, God, I'm waiting for you, but I am waiting with anticipation. I am waiting with hope. I am waiting, hopefully, with a little bit of patience to say, God, if you're not doing something yet, it's because you have a reason for waiting. I'm going to trust you for your timing in my situation. And to do that, we've got to be very careful not to run ahead of God and do rash things. It also means that we're being patient with his wisdom. That even though it doesn't seem like this is the best thing to happen, that God knows better. And if God's not doing something yet then maybe he's got something better and I just need to wait patiently that he knows what is better. He he has a reason for waiting. I can't help but think of Abraham that God had promised him a son through whom he was going to bless the earth. And he didn't get that son for 25 years. And he and Sarah decided to help God out. You know the story. Sarah says, hey, sleep with my handmaiden. Have a child by her. That was a cultural thing back then that if you couldn't have children, you could have a servant and basically kind of adopt them and that would be kind of yours. But that wasn't God's plan. They got ahead of God's plan and it caused all kinds of problems. We do the same thing. We get ahead of God's plan. We don't wait patiently, trusting he knows the right time and he knows the right way. So I got to do my own thing. I got to do this. I got to do that. We do something rash. We get ourselves into in more trouble. Yeah. Requires faith. So what do we do while we're waiting? When we have to wait, we do things. Tomorrow morning, I have to take one of our cars to the shop to have some things done, and I'll be doing some waiting. I've already been planning. I'll have my phone with me. That's the cool thing about phones nowadays, you know. On my phone, I've got a bunch of books I can read. i got all my Bible study stuff. i got a couple of games I can play. i, I got all kinds. I can send messages. I can do all kinds of... Right there with my phone, I can sit there in the waiting room. I can fill hours. I hope it won't be that long. I can fill hours with productive stuff while I'm waiting. I think it's a couple, a young married couple who's waiting on their baby to show up. 
a little bit harder for the woman than it is for the man. What do they do while they're waiting? If they have the, the ability and they have the resources, they decorate the nursery. That's a little bit harder on the man than it is on the woman, usually. You know, they're buying the stuff they need. They're getting the furniture and they're getting the paint and they're putting up the wallpaper and they're doing all this stuff and they're buying baby clothes. You know, they're, they're waiting, but they're being productive. Can I tell you that there are things that we can do, things that we should do while we're waiting for the Lord. And we could dig in deep on each of these, but I'm just going to have to mention them in passing. But they're not going to be things that are strange to you. They're not going to be things that's like, I've never heard of that before. But this is what I want you to think. When you're waiting on God, don't just sit there worrying and stewing and fretting and twiddling. You're like, God, when are you going to show up? This is what you should be doing, okay? So let me just give it to you really quick. What should we do while we are waiting for God? Number one, pray and seek God. So I'm already doing that. Good. But can I ask you to step one step further than what you're probably doing. Don't just pray and seek God for what you want and what you feel like you need. Pray and seek God for God himself. Pastor Jan talked about this last time she spoke about how too often we are guilty of just coming to God when we want to ask for something. We wouldn't consider someone a very good friend if that's all they did was they only approached us, they only came to us, they only talked to us when they wanted something. But so many times we can treat God that way. Pray and seek God, not half-heartedly. It says over and over in God's word, seek the Lord with all your heart and he will be found by you. Seek God, not just for what you want or need, but to get to know him. The second thing, listen for God's voice. He wants to speak to you. This is why spending time in God's word is so important. The answer to your situation, the solution to your problem might be right there in God's word. And there's something he wants you to do about it, but you have no clue. Because you're not spending time in his word, you're not listening for his voice. The third thing, stand upon God's promises. I mentioned earlier, the enemy's going to come and tell you all kinds of stuff. Don't listen to his voice. Or at least counter it with God's voice. Find out what promises in God's word truly do apply to your situation. Memorize them. If you can't memorize them, type them up. Put them on your phone where you can sit down. You can read them. You can quote them. You can pray them. I'll show you some of my favorites. Just a couple. Today's passage is one of those. God, I need extra strength. You promise if I'm working for you, I'm doing your thing. You're going to give me the strength I need to get through this day, this week, this whatever uh, situation I'm going through. Another one that I love is just a couple chapters later, Isaiah 41, verse 10, where God says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Another one that I love is this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Doesn't mean all things are good. Doesn't mean all things are sent from God. But he can work in and through all things to bring good out the other side. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That doesn't mean everything I want to do. It means everything God wants me to do. Everything God calls me to do. He will give me the strength to do it. Those are just a couple. You find those promises of God. Again, make sure they apply to you. And you claim those. You stand on those promises. The fourth thing is this. Learn what God is teaching I said many times when we're going through difficulties, God's trying to teach us something. He wants us to get somewhere. He wants us to come out stronger on the other side. The quicker we can learn the lesson, maybe the quicker we can find deliverance. We can find relief. We can stop waiting. 
Learn what God is teaching. Number five, only two left. Number five, do what you know to do. He says here, you shall mount up with wings like eagle. Well, if he's talking about us, we need to do the mounting up. He says, you shall run. We got to do the running. He'll give the strength. It says, walk. We got to do the walking. He'll give us the strength. We don't just sit back and wait. We do what we need to do. There's times we're waiting on God and God's up there saying, wait a minute. I'm waiting on you. You got this situation. I've already told you what you're supposed to do about it. Do your part. Then I'll get involved. Okay? Do what you know to do. I've overused this illustration. Don't be praying for God, uh, praying to God for a job and you're just sitting at home waiting for somebody to call you out of the blue. Get out there and look. Get on the internet and look. Fill out applications. Meet down doors. That's just a simple example, but there's so many things that we can do in God's plan, in God's will, toward our situation, and then God will jump in and help. And then the last thing is this, number six, even before you get your answer, your deliverance, whatever it is you're waiting for, rejoice in God's past, present, and promised goodness. In other words, you're still waiting, but I'm going to rejoice because I can see times in the past when God delivered me, when God healed me, when God took care of me. You know, that's a theme all through scripture. You know, Paul even says that when we bring everything to God in prayer, we should do it with thanksgiving. Because as we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it builds our faith for what we need him to do today. So rejoice in God's past goodnesses. Rejoice in his present goodness. You may be facing something, but you're sitting in your home and say, Lord, I hate this situation. I'm waiting on you. Will you get involved? But Lord, you are so good. You treat me so much better than I deserve. I'm actually sitting in a house where I can be out of the weather when such a large number of people around the world have no decent shelter. I've got clothes to wear. I actually have a couple of extra changes in the closet. That's being kind of facetious. We have a lot more than a couple extra. There's people all around the world. They only have the clothes that they're in and maybe one extra change. I've got cabinets full of food. I, I don't go hungry very often, if at all, where there's people all around the world that may get one meal a day if they're lucky. Rejoice in God's goodness to you. There's so many times my wife and I say to each other, you know what? God has been so good to us. God has been so good to us. But then rejoice in his promised goodness. Lord, I don't see it yet, but you've promised me. And God, even if I don't get it all till I get to heaven, I have heaven. It's all going to be taken care of. This will all just be, you know, the negative stuff just be an all bad memory. You're going to take care of me. The last phrase before we wrap this up. If we wait for the Lord, he will give us what we need by the time we need it. Maybe not as quick as we want it, but by the time we... It may be at 11.59 and we need it at 12 noon or 12 midnight. But he will give us what we need by the time we need it. If we will wait on the Lord. Now, I want you to notice what he promises. He doesn't promise you're going to get exactly what you ask for, exactly what you want. He promises to give you the strength. So that's what we need to hold on to. But God will give us what we need if we trust in him. As we wrap this all up, how do we respond? If you're in need today, I want to challenge you and encourage you to wait on the Lord. If the enemy's been coming against you and trying to encourage you to give up, to say, you know what? I'm not giving up. God had Pastor Tim preach this message today. Say, don't give up. 
you know what? Even if I die in hope, I'm never going to give up. Make that your determination. Even if I never get exactly what I want or what I think I deserve or what I think God, I'm still not going to give up. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king Nebuchadnezzar says, you've got to bow to this statue. If you don't, you're going into the furnace. They said, King, we don't even need to think about this. We're not going to do it. We serve God. Our God can deliver us from you. Or, yeah, deliver us from you. Our God will deliver us from you. But even if he doesn't keep us out of the furnace or take us out of the furnace, we're still going to do the right thing. We're still trusting in God. Because God knows what's best. So don't give in to that pressure of the enemy. Hold on. But you know, maybe today is the day. You're going to pray about your need and God says, today's the day. And so we're going to pray for needs today. But before we get into that, I just want to say one more thing. These promises, all that God has said here is for his people. It's for his people. So does that mean he doesn't care about everybody else? Yes, he cares about everybody else. He wants everybody to be his people. And so I have to just say this, even though it's not the main focus of the message today, that if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you don't go to church. You don't do that. You may do all kinds of wonderful things and you give and you pray. You may read the Bible, but you don't have a relationship with God because you put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your savior, to take care of your sin problem, the same sin problem that I have. The same sin problem that every single person in this room has. That's the first step. I'm not saying God will never do anything for you unless you take that first step, but that's what he's really waiting for. That's what he's really wanting. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. And scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, not just ultimately physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God now and forever. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, God himself, came to earth in the flesh, lived the perfect life that we could not live. So that in God's plan and purpose, in Jesus' plan and purpose, that his death on the cross, a death he did not deserve, would pay the price for our sins. So as we come to God and say, God, I am a sinner. My sin separates me from you. But God, I don't want that anymore. And your word says there's nothing I can do about it, but you already took care of it through Jesus. So I'm going to put my trust in him. Please forgive me of my sin. I put my faith, my trust. I'm depending on what Jesus did. I surrender my life to you. Help me now to live for you. Help me to get victory over this sin thing. If you do that, then God accepts you as a son or as a daughter. Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask our elders, my wife, Pastor Jan, any of our prayer team members, if you want to be involved, to come down here. Our worship team is going to lead us in a chorus and you can respond as you please. You can sing along with the chorus. If there's nothing you need to pray about, don't have any needs, whatever, you can sing along. You can respond by just praying and asking God how this applies to you. Start trying to apply that. But if you need prayer for anything, including you need Jesus today, or if you just want somebody to join me and say, I've been waiting, God, for healing. I've been waiting, God, for my relationship. I've been waiting for God for this, that, or the other. I would like somebody to pray with me. Or maybe you want somebody to pray with you because there's somebody you love, you care about that's going through something. We want to do that. And we're going to close in just a couple of moments. One of us will come back and close in prayer. But let's take a couple minutes just to look to God and to pray for needs. You come if you want somebody to pray with you. 
you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 